0: The trucking industry is crazy right now, and being a broker can be stressful. Managing your invoices, billing, collecting, carrier base, and cash flow can feel like an impossible task. But I can tell you, OTR Solutions has figured out the impossible. They eliminate cash flow problems for carrier payments and ensure margin funding in just 24 hours with broker invoice factoring. OTR Solutions takes care of billing and collection processes with your shippers. And with lightning quick and accurate invoicing, your customers will never need another broker to handle their freight needs. Kick back, relax, and let OTR take care of your brokerage. If you want to know more, and I hope you do, check them out at otrsolutions.com freight hyphen caviar to see what they can do for your business or give them a call. They love to talk to brokers at 770-882-0124. We've partnered with Ascend TMS, the world's most popular and top-rated transportation management system. It's the ultimate tool for all your freight needs. You can use our referral code RA-FreightCaviar! to receive three months of Ascend TMS for free. It only takes 20 seconds to sign up, and no credit card is required. You can click the link below to learn more. Gabe Pankinen, the CEO and founder of Rocket Shipping. How are you today, Gabe? Hey, I'm living my best life today, man. I appreciate you having me on. I've been wanting to do it for a
1: while, so I'm glad we can make it work.
0: Definitely. Where Where are you based out of? Where are you currently?
1: Uh, I live in Rocket Shipping. It's based out of Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, so up here in the,
0: the Midwest, the north of the Midwest. Yeah, I feel like there's not like a lot of logistics companies out that way. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. No, there's there's almost no tech
1: companies or logistics companies. There are truckload carriers based out of here because they they do like the cross border into Canada uh cuz we're only like an hour and a half from Canada. Yeah. So, there's a lot of that, but there's not many brokerages or any big ones. Minneapolis, Minnesota is like 4 hours away. So, that's like the nearest hub of logistics companies, CH Robinson and Coyote.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh and so like just so the audience knows, yesterday I was listening to Nate shoots uh episode uh, Nate shoots uh runs the podcast the bootstrappers Guide to Logistics and Gabe was a guest of his I listened to the entire episode it's a really good episode so if uh, if anyone wants to listen to this uh before this episode or afterwards I highly recommend it uh the bootstrappers Guide to Logistics where uh it's more or less Gabe's kind of story and here we're going to dive into maybe some deeper topics uh cuz Gabe you you kind of Randomly got into logistics. You were working at Walmart before that, you were a pre med student, and then you got a job doing essentially calling making cold calls at Unishipper. Yeah, uh, Unishipper. yeah, yeah. And okay, you made over 24,000 cold calls. Is that correct? Yeah, in a year, a little over a year and a half, it was 100 okay. a day, and you
1: could miss a day. So Got it. If you didn't get a hundred in, you had to make your five hundred per week. So you just had to make up for it if you missed a day. Okay. How how did that
0: look like? What well, did you have like your phone on dial nonstop? or like your yeah, phone there's a,
1: there's an app called Phone Burner. Uh, I don't use it now at Rocket, but that's what we used. And we had a headset and a little desk, and we just there's like five of us, and we just would sit in and put our headset on. We didn't have to source the leads. We didn't do anything except for just like it would just blind dial. We had no idea who we were calling, and the company name would come up on the screen, and we just say hey. Do you guys have any LTL freight I could ship for you today, basically? Uh, and it was always like really transactional. Try to get a shipment over the phone. Okay. It was not like, hey, just do a discovery and build a relationship. It was, hey, if you get a shipment over the phone, you get $50 cash. Okay. So that's all we get.
0: Does that still exist today?
1: Well, I, Unishippers as a company is part of like worldwide and global trends. They're all owned by the same group. Like they merge, but they... I was in Fargo and they had a franchise owner who like was working with corporate who said, let's start a call center. And I just happened to be one of the first hires at that call center. So they had no idea what to do. They just, none of us did. They just threw us in a room and said, here's a script. And they said, this is what an LTL shipment is. And after like two days of whiteboard training, they just said, start making calls. Um, And I had no sales background. I did not know I could do sales. I was always going to be a chiropractor or a doctor of osteopathic medicine. Like that was my, career yeah. path and then mm-hmm. i needed to make money because my wife's told me i had to have a job uh, i don't yep. know why but i mean i was better at call of duty and so <laughs> <laughs> i i just started cold calling and i was able to i guess not everybody knows it but once you start cold calling it's like really intimidating to pick up the phone uh and actually talk to a random stranger and get rejected 99 times a day i just have something broke inside me and it didn't bother me when people said no and so I would just like, I get done with the day. And I was like, that was great. And a couple of my buddies would be like, dude, that sucked. I got told no. So many, I was like, ah, I'm going to go
0: home. I didn't yeah. care. Yeah, um, for sure. So that served me well in a lot of other areas, though. Yeah. So like uh, when you would make 100 phone calls a day, like what was the success rate uh, typically? And I'm, I'm guessing over time, the percent increased or was it did it stay like the same?
1: Yeah. I think that obviously over time I got better at it and I knew which questions to ask and I would ask them, you know, I used to just say, Hey, do you have any shipments today that I could quote? And then as I got better, it was, um, you know, I'd find out if they had shipments and then I'd say, is there any reason that I can't quote that? And then instead of saying a yes, no, they'd have to come up with an actual reason why I couldn't quote it. And so I would get better with my language and positioning. And and I was reading a lot of sales books and just trying different tactics, but I think the first year we I got like 64 new shippers. And so it was pretty successful, but I didn't have to do anything after they shipped once. Like I just would, we had to have a, <laughs> this is kind of crazy too. We don't have margins like this these days, uh, especially I don't think it's right to have these margins, but they made us have 35% margin on the first quote always. So it's not like we could even win the quotes. And so it was like 35% margin. We would quote out a little rate shopping tool and then they'd be like, oh, you're high. And I'd be like, okay could I do another? Huh. Um, and so I figured out how to like convince the, the guy who was running it, like, Hey, the first quote needs to be a lot more competitive and we can win more. And then we started adjusting that. But okay, it was like 35% margin. That's our minimum for Unishippers, new sure. accounts and
0: all that. Yeah, That was in 2016 though. So, okay. Well, so we, we started in logistics around the same time. Cause I started in 2015. Um, I became a freight broker in Chicago and uh, we're essentially the same age. We're both from 93. You're in November, I'm um, July, uh, which I was also yep. kind of surprised by because I found that out yesterday when I was listening to Nature's podcast. Because uh, I met you before and I know that you have a family, you have kids, you have your Instagram. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, this guy has, to be like, 35, 36. Uh, and, like, you look young. So, like, not, not, nothing against that. I just thought, like, you're older because <laughs> of your I don't persona. look as young like, as I used to be. Like, yeah, but it turns out that I'm older. But, okay, so that's that's really cool. You started out in 20, 2015 and 2016. You were at Unishippers. Uh, and then you transitioned over to DLS Worldwide as an independent sales contractor, where it was commission only. Your wife let yeah. you do it. And, I mean, so you've had this kind of... I, I guess Azure ex- a lot of experience in just cold sales and building a book of business uh, specifically yeah. in LTL, right? Cause like you weren't doing truckload uh, even at DLS.
1: I never, yeah, I never sold a truckload until I started rocket shipping uh, and we, okay. we do truckload now, but I was sure. always just LTL for the first six years.
0: Okay. And a lot of it was like e-commerce. Cause I know that you're talking about the boom with like Shopify, uh, a lot of like these small, like, you know, I like, don't you know, companies that just have not, that mean, not, that much shipping going on can you kind of talk a little bit about that like the e-commerce side because i know like for me as a freight broker that's something i never really like dealt with
1: yeah so the e-commerce side and, and speaking of niches you know that topic i did not choose to say like i didn't start at dls worldwide and at Unishippers, shippers i called whatever they told me to call at dls worldwide i was independent so i had to make my own leads and so i had to figure out who to ship for uh, on my own, there was no training. It was just like, Hey, you already know how to cold call. Now go sell it to anybody. Uh, DLS worldwide was really big in automotive, like engine salvage engines, but it was super low margin, like 10 bucks a shipment you'd make. And, and oh. I was commission only. And I said, I'd have to have a hundred shipments a day to make a good living. So I figured I'm going to try like higher price shipping. Uh, but I do want to say like, I didn't say, Hey, e-commerce will be my niche and then attack it. I just called every industry until I figured out a problem. And e-commerce happened to be that there was only like four employees, but they might do like a million in revenue online. Whereas a million dollar auto salvage company has like 25 employees. And so it was a different type of like their spend mattered much more and they had no help. Uh, So they were like really good at retargeting on Facebook ads and their ROAS and customer acquisition costs, but half their company was logistics. And so they really actually saw value in me And they were super price sensitive right away. Uh, They eventually saw value beyond the price, but like if they saved $10 on a shipment, they made $10 more profit on their order because they were giving away free shipping. Uh, And so I didn't pick e-commerce as a niche. I just stumbled upon it and said, hey, I can actually fix that problem. Then when I started to do that, I would still call everybody because I was building a book of business. But as it went, like I would lose transactional salvage engine customers as fast as I could get them, because it was always like just price sensitive. Mm-hmm. But the e-commerce brands were like, I was doing their missed pickups and reconsignments and filing their claims. They were just like, hey, just keep doing that. And so I kept a customer for like 12 months, and I'm like, hey, that's he didn't leave, and they still like they're growing 20% in shipment count every month. So their company's growing and they didn't leave. And so I said, Hey, that's that's a good niche. That was in 2017. Um, mm-hmm. and obviously. By 2021, I had left and started rocket shipping and done. I primarily focused on e-commerce and then there was a huge boom. People sitting in their living rooms saying, hey, we need a new couch or a new dining table because I have to be stuck inside my house. Yeah. But I think the bigger picture is like, I think people make the mistake and and I've made it as well when we started our truckload brokerage. Like here's going to be our ideal customer in our niche, but really you have to build it around the freight you have and solving an actual problem. And then it just kind of as long as you can hone in on it, you can choose a niche. I think people shortcut it and choose it before they start their company.
0: Sure, sure. Um, and so you were at DLS Worldwide until 2020. During a pandemic, you decided to start Rocket Shipping, which was end of end of 2020, December, I think. And then January is when you first started. Uh, crushed it in 2021. It was a hot market, obviously, especially with like... Yeah, timing, I guess, good timing. Yeah, good timing, e-commerce. Uh, and you mentioned that you you did the first year and just correct me if I'm wrong. And this is from the Nate Shoes podcast. You did uh, you did one from zero to fifteen and a half million in revenue, first year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and brokerage revenue, right? Yeah, brokerage. Okay. So can you break down like the revenue? Because like okay, so you have LTL, the e-commerce I think goes into LTL, and then you have truckload, and uh, you also do managed transportation. Yeah. So, I mean, we started as just LTL e-commerce. We
1: built in truckload, but like the problem that I, again, now we have a new niche and it's still e-commerce, but it's a different type of of management is that I had customers and my goal is to keep customers forever, right? If you just never lose customers, you win. Uh, and I always say that's simple, but it's not easy. And so that's my whole focus is getting new customers and keeping them forever and our problem was that i had a couple of when i was at dls worldwide i went from being an independent contractor that had no customers to over the course of a you know 4 years i was their top sales rep and i had a little bit of influence obviously when you're the top sales rep in the company to like what kind of operations team i could get and i had some leverage to say hey if you give me help on this type of model then i can go sell more but right now when i started it was just I did all the billing, I did all the ops, I did all the sales, it was just me. And yeah. so as I kind of progressed through that, you know, I think that the the core tenant of it was that we would have customers and the only reason they would leave is they could get a better price with a direct carrier or a competitor like Global Trends. And so i tried to figure out how do I get customers to not leave because of price? Because I want to make a margin so that I can hire more people. And I don't want to make too much margin so that they leave, but I also, you know, I'm never afraid to say, hey, I want to make money so I can hire more people. That's our mission at Rocket is to hire people and impact families. And so how do I make sure they don't leave? And our biggest objection, our biggest customer said, hey, you're a third-party brokerage and you've got blanket rates, but I can go get a better rate with, say, RNL Carriers and SIA Direct. And I had a business problem to fix, and one of our biggest brands came to us and said, hey, we're going to have to leave. We're going to go bid directly. Uh, That was January of 2022. And, you know, obviously that was, they were spending $5 million with us on LTL. And so it was a big deal for our brand. I flew out there, we negotiated and I said, hey, give me a year to fix this, right? To figure out how I can get those rates for you. They, you know, their story is like when they started with us, they had five customer service and logistics employees doing 30 shipments a day. And at that point, they still had five customer service employees doing 100 shipments a day. And now they're with us and they do 200 shipments a day. And it's still just those five people because we built management around it. So they they saw value, but they also needed to save money. 2022 was a really tough crunch for e-commerce brands. Yeah. And so what we did was I went out and I said, hey, I need to find a TMS that, uh, or, or build one or find it and build it to allow me to have third-party brokerage rates and go negotiate customer-specific pricing, but have it be their direct tariff and load it in the same system and so that's what we did in 2022 now that same client uses multiple carriers but most of them are through our brokerage some of them are through theirs and they were able to save money and stay with us we still manage the tariff and so okay. that at the end of the day that's kind of the plan is our customers can use their rates or ours and it's the uh, it's through a tms that we've you know we've built and we've bolted on and we've Done the connections to carriers, and we've kind of put it all together this year. But the premise was, how do I not lose customers? Price objection is now gone. Then it was, hey, they also have truckload, and so we said we need to have truckload and be able to say we're we're managed
0: trans with tech first. Okay, very interesting. And I do want to just uh, I want to ask you what what are blanket rate rates? Because I've seen this a few times, saw in your two videos. Can you explain yeah. that to me?
1: Yeah, so in the third party, or so in the LTL industry, there's only one way to start if you want to go get rates. And you have to go through one of the big, I say big five, but there's probably mm-hmm. 10 players. Yeah. And it's the Worldwide Express Global Trans. Global Trans is probably the most popular for an agency model. I used to right? go into Global Trans sometimes. I've done it yep. a couple of times. I didn't know. So, and so, honestly, like I always talk about this with our company and with our colleagues and stuff because in truckload, you can just grab an MC number and it's hard to do, right? It's not simple, but you can just register for an MC, DOT, pay insurance, and just start brokering loads. You got to get a data account. You got to be able to figure that out. But there is no like set rates. You just have to go try to cover better. That's the premise of it. In LTL, you can't walk into RL carriers and say, give me blanket rates. They'll say, okay, how much do you spend with us? And if you say zero and you don't have customers yet, then they don't give you blanket rates. And so the the traditional route into LTL is agency model like DLS, Worldwide, or Global, Trans, or any of those, right? And you start with that, and most of the companies, most of the people I know that start an agency model never leave it. And I think that it's because they can make good money, they can pretty much have their own business underneath it, a franchise, and they can scale pretty quickly. So that's how we started. DLS and at rocket shipping is getting rates for third party. But our goal at you know at DLS, we were just an agency. At rocket shipping, our goal was to get those rates and then go build a business off of it. But having the negotiated third party rates is what got us started. A blanket rate is basically saying, hey, Arnel, or any carrier, I always say Arnel, but Saya, FedEx Freight. We, we spend $100 million on freight with all of our customers. Will you give us one rate to us that we can resell to them no matter what the class is, no matter if it's residential or liftgate, no matter what? Will you give us a tariff that we can repurpose? And the LTL carriers are happy to do it because that's their sales force. Primarily from 2008 to 2020, their sales force was third parties They would uh, they, that had agencies and reps that would go and find customers and put it on blanket rates. The difference is, is that that's only... You know, bl- I always say how blankets saved America during COVID because blanket rates is what kept small businesses in in, in business because they had to ship. And all the carriers were just, you know, in 2021, were are just handing increases like it was candy. Um, but the big third parties could negotiate a little better. They spend maybe 50 million with that, that carrier. So they don't just take an increase willy nilly like uh, somebody who ships five a week. So those companies relied on blanket rates to keep the increases in inflation under control. But the bigger brands, and I always say mid-market, but it's still, most people call them SMB. It's the brands that are around 50 to 100 million in revenue. And they spend 5 to 20 million on LTL, somewhere in there. They are big enough to go get their own rates. But the the trade-off is that they can't get the services of a third party. So they have to build a transportation team. And they're not a billion dollar brand yet. So building a transportation team and hiring a director of logistics and all of that, it's hard to do. And so they end up staying with a third party for the services and overpaying on freight as a result. And what Rocket does is say, hey, stay with us so we can manage it, but you can use your logo and your scale to get your own tariffs. And instead of us marking that up, we'll charge you a transactional rate that's much lower for us to manage it. And we'll blend, we call it a blended model. Uh Um,
0: Yeah. Okay, I got, I got a couple questions from from what you just said. You said that LTL carriers between 2008 and 2020 lived off of the blanket rates. Uh, or just to, can you kind of talk on that real quick? What happened in? Yeah, so. The pandemic? Well, so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and they relied on them in 2020. 2021 is when they started to say we don't need you anymore, uh, and it got it, it's been a bloodbath ever since, back and forth. But in 2008, obviously they they just needed freight. All the carriers were operating at cost. They just needed freight. And you know, Global Trans had just gotten started. Echo Global Logistics had just gotten started. Uh, not really like their founding, but they started getting popular. And it became like what I call the Expedia for freight shipping. So you mm-hmm. could shop multiple carriers. Well, the big carriers, and correct me, you know, the audience might correct me on the dates of this, but it's the same time range. The carrier said, hey, we have sales reps, we have account executives, and we have VPs of sales, all this stuff, but if we give blanket rates to an affiliate like uh, Global Trans and we load into their system, it shows our rates to all their customers. And so it would accelerate growth. Well, pretty soon that became the way they acquired a business. They still have field sales reps, but in my opinion, most of the sales department at the LTL carriers is account management, not hunting net new business. It's pricing and negotiating and whining and dining. That is the sales component, and very few have a robust sales team that is actually like cold calling and knocking new doors, except oh. for by like maybe the most popular regions in the U.S. And they, the carriers, enjoyed the relationships with, you know, Priority One and Global Trans and Worldwide Express and Unishippers and Mode and DLS. And it became, you know, what I say, it's controversial, but what I always say is it's like the good old boys club. Like it was just whoever knew the owners of the LTL carriers knew the owners of the third party brokerages and they gave them really selective rates, CH Robinson as well. And then they could go with their customers and it was all about relationships and, and whining and dining. And it still kind of is, that's how they grew. 2020 happened. Then 2021, this huge surge in volume. And suddenly the carriers were like, Oh there's more business to be had than we could even get like we're we're over 100% of what we can handle yeah and they started handing increases to the third parties and saying thanks for getting us here uh, we don't okay. really need you as much now well, we're going go to now they do right well so then yes this is a complex topic because it's been going back and forth but they in early 2023 i started saying okay guys it's time <laughs> like now the third party and going and getting rates we can start to get aggressive again things have cooled off and up until june that was the case. And like, we got some really sweet tariffs for our customers this year that are like, you get to lock them in for a year and next year they'll probably take an increase because of the, the market. But it was great. Like the the power dynamic flipped yeah. and then yellow went bankrupt and they were the number two or three largest LTL carrier and all the carriers, the knives came back out and they said, I mean, they didn't say this. I, I'm not allowed this, but I, I guess in LTL, you're not supposed to talk bad about the carriers. There's some rule about that. I don't really care. Uh, I think that they are a mafia sometimes. And I think that they like make rules together. I'll give a, an example and then I'll get back to this point. The example is in 2022, they decided that anything over eight feet, like that was already 96 inches. There was already like a 50 to a, sometimes a hundred dollar accessorial fee if it was long freight because they didn't want to move like two pallets for one right of course so they were adding on a fee well they decided since capacity was crazy and like they had all this freight and it was literally mafia like to me because every carrier within the same three days changed their overlength fee to like five hundred dollars per shipment 250 to five hundred dollars yellow was at a thousand dollars for 12 feet what guess what we had customers who are shipping like electric boats and kayaks and things like that, that were over eight eight feet and they're used to paying like $400 for a shipment. And the next week they had to pay a thousand dollars and every carrier did it at once. It wasn't like one carrier old dominion led the way it was within the same week. Every carrier had a new overlength, And so they control the market. I guarantee, I mean, it doesn't happen unless they coordinate it. So they had to have had like a closed door meeting, like, okay, What are we going to do about this capacity? I don't know. Let's make $500 extra per shipment on the people who are shipping over length so that they can't go from Old Dominion to Pitt, Ohio. Everybody did it. Yeah. Uh, And so that's what I – I really don't like that type of stuff in LTL, and I think that's how it works. Back to my point, though, is that the LTL carriers, as soon as Yellow went bankrupt, they were Mm -hmm. starting to speculate before. We had several carriers that were bidding, you know – underneath our blanket rates uh because we would do both right we have the blanket rates and we'd say hey let's go get specific for this carrier Mm -hmm. and they would be 15 percent lower and we're like hey this is great we were going into round two of negotiations and then they're like hey we're gonna hit pause and see what happens with yellow and then when yellow went bankrupt they came back now they're five percent above blanket rates they had a 20 percent swing on the same tariff okay so they have the leverage once again or at least the perception of leverage which is all they care about Sure,
0: perception is reality. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, I actually I, I have a tweet pulled up here uh, from I think we tweeted this on August twenty third. Uh, LTL capacity issues are now showing some signs of downstream effects. XPO turned off an account yesterday due to due to not being packaged well enough. Drop trailer was being used. RNL did the same for a drop trailer for another customer today. Pulled the trailer to need equipment. Both accounts were fifteen to twenty BOLs per day. And the origin was was favorable for the carrier. They simply pulled because it was less than ideal freight. AKA the customers were not a shipper of choice. So, yeah. uh, and then just for added context, someone commented which parts of the country did this occur in. You wrote Kent, Washington, and Upper Peninsula, Michigan. So the this is fr- the the side effects of Yellow's bankruptcy.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. like the carriers, we call it. Scooter Sayers called it. Uh, selectivity or account selectivity i got to figure out a better buzzword but that's what it is i mean selective is a nice word um but it's just like if they don't need the headache they won't take it and so not all freight is palletized most people think all ltl is on a pallet four by four perfect little square it's beautiful Mm -hmm. most of like these customers are shipping furniture wicker furniture or high-end furniture and sometimes the dining table might be 96 inches long, and it's flat, and it's easier to hand move than to put it on a pallet. Mm-hmm. And I've been working with the account out of Washington for seven years. Like, they've been my customer since I was at DLS. And quite honestly, this same carrier has been shipping with them for seven years. And then last week, dropped trailer. They said, hey, we're going to pull it. But they didn't give like a two-week notice and say, hey, you know, we got to wind this down or, or do a rate increase. They just said tomorrow we're not picking up. That, oh. That's it. And okay. so somebody had commented on my LinkedIn post when I had shared that tweet too on LinkedIn and they said, this happens all the time. And I said, but this is different because account selectivity is always, well, it's not always, but most of the time it's done when there's a new tariff negotiation. They say, Hey, our operating ratio was 112 on this. We need an increase or we can't take this business. It's different now when they don't give you 24 hours, they just say tomorrow, we're not picking up your freight. And it all happened. I've had a third account that it is starting to happen to, and we're trying to bring in another carrier and that's palletized and that's good freight, but it's, they must not like the location of the pickup. Right. So we'll find another carrier, but they're just making decisions like this because one, they need the equipment. That's why I was talking about drop trailers. Mm -hmm. If they're spotting it in somebody's door, they don't have it for a line haul trailer, which means they, they have so much capacity or so little capacity. Now they need the equipment. And so they're saying, Hey, where can we pull equipment? Let's go from our shippers
0: that we don't like. That's basically what's happening. Yeah. So have you noticed an uptick um, take place in truckload as well?
1: Yeah. On the truckload side, we're so new. We started it a year ago. And Mm -hmm. so like we're growing and we have more volume every month. Uh, And so it's a a unique time for us to have started because it's a tough market, but we didn't have any business last year. And so we have more business now that's good for us. But Mm -hmm. On the truckload side, we're still covering really, whenever we do cover in spot, which we try to stick with mostly contract, that's our model, we're not having any trouble covering. I still think that the capacity is pretty loose. Like we're, uh-huh. when we post a load that's a, an attractive lane, we get 53 calls uh, and like our, our phones completely explode. And so sure, I'd have to talk to Tim more about that. I don't run that side of it, but we're, we've never not covered. Uh, and we only have, we have a pretty ne- you know lean team.
0: Yeah, uh, for and sure. So,
1: I still think that I can see in sonar and freight waves that the, the rates are taking up on spot and, and contract they're kind of converging again. I think shippers are going to leverage that and say, Hey, I'm going to lock in some really competitive contract rates in this RFP cycle. And then spots going to be above it. And brokers are going to have to buy market share again. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but I think LTL was affected by YRC. I don't think it really bled into truckload much except mm-hmm. for if there was like a capacity availability in truckload, where like if you could be a driver and just go start over the road, that would have helped. But I mean, there's just, LTL and truckload drivers are so different because like it's the exact opposite lifestyle, right? LTL pickup and delivery, you're you're gone every morning at seven and you're back every evening, mm-hmm. uh, and you have the same route and you get to know your customers. It's you know, yeah. I'm not saying it's easy. Like they have a tough job and they have to. Put up with a lot each day and they're driving truck and they're sitting in their truck all day and sometimes they have to help unload the freight and all that stuff but over the road you're gone mm-hmm. uh, for a week at a time or two weeks at a time and so that's the difference i don't think there was a huge influx of over the road drivers from yellow mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that that happened i think they're still waiting to find their next opportunity they're hoping it's going to be an ltl pickup and delivery for rnl or for SIA. got it got it
0: very interesting um in terms of twitter uh or x i, I know I, I saw another tweet yeah. on august 22nd he tweeted factoring companies are raising their standards high interest rates and increasingly high default rates for small carriers and mid-sized brokerages are the reason i see what other reasons do you see for factoring giants like triumph getting very stingy can you talk a little about that like what's uh like do you use factoring company and i mean i guess maybe you use triumph but can you talk a little about like what's going on from like the, the factoring yeah. side of things so actually we use a company called HallPay uh, and
1: it's more of like a payments as a service like FinTech. Um, mm-hmm. a really I know Hall Pay. I interviewed yeah. Steve, a yeah. great guy. Honestly, like, I know they're a newer company and we took a risk on them. They took a risk on us. We're kind of both new and it's worked out really well. There's some hiccups as we're growing and they're growing. But like if I was a new brokerage, instead of using factoring, I would use Hall Pay, and people think it's factoring, but it really isn't because uh, the receivables are yours and you build your own credit as a brokerage while they pay the carrier's. And sure, they take a fee like a factor, but I think the biggest thing is that our credit counts as our credit. Mm -hmm. And we can withhold pay, and I'm like giving them a testimonial here, they should pay me. Steve, hit me up. (laughs) Um, But you can build your credit, and then when you're ready and you can get a line of credit off your receivables, you can Um, Mm self-finance. And you can still use them for your back office. So it's like a scalable FinTech for brokerages. What I was tweeting about was actually the opposite side. The carriers that we were trying to book they all, I mean, not all carriers use factoring companies, but it seems to be a lot of them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and their factors weren't always approving us because we had a new MC. It isn't aged a year yet. Yeah. Um, but we were set up with every factor in the US. Like every factor that mattered to us, people are going to take that out of context. Every factor that mattered to us. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of factors. Every factor that mattered to us, we, you know, Tim and, and I, and mostly Tim, finagled our way into getting approved because we were moving freight and we were building credit and days to pay on that. And we really watched those metrics. And we were approved with Triumph. And then we tried to move a load for a new customer contract lane. We already sourced carriers. And they said, hey, our factory is is Triumph. And they called us and said, we weren't approved anymore. I was like, well, we've been approved for 10 months. And we sorted it out and got reapproved, But it was because it wasn't a year and somebody was just pushing buttons and saying, oh, you're not a year old. But I think it, you know, the the downstream effect is that they were just taking a closer look at everything uh, because their borrowing power is so little now. Like, they're bar- like, it's hard to borrow money. And then even if you're getting a 3% fee on factoring, as Triumph is, and you're getting the quick pay from the carrier, if your line of credit is at 9% or at 7.5% if they really borrow well. But I mean, if I went into a bank today... As a brokerage, it's it's twelve percent for a line of credit or ten and a half percent. It's ridiculous, right. and so you imagine it's very similar to commercial realty. But in freight brokerage, if you have a lo- an operating line, I'm not talking a loan. I'm talking operating line off of receivables, and you're getting paid in sixty days instead of forty five because everybody's struggling on cash flow. They don't pay you as quick. You carry an extra month on interest, and you can't. You you can default. And so it's a razor thin line now of like, if you got a million in receivables, that's great. You used to be able to get that when during COVID in 2020, you could get factoring for like 0.8%. And now 3% is the going rate. And then the line of credit is so high. You know, I think that you're kind of screwed either way. If you choose factoring, I always say don't choose factoring because you kind of get stuck in that cycle. And I shouldn't say that I say that I was given that advice and I think they were right. Mm-hmm. Um, once you're in a factoring as a brokerage, it's hard to like get yourself to self-financed. Um, but line of credit is unattainable right now, even if you have receivables. Yeah. So I think factoring companies are, are short on cash. Um, and then here's the other reason that I see that. And I only speak about what I see in the market in my businesses. I don't even speculate on what's happening in other people's businesses, but in our business, getting a customer approved for a credit line through hall pay or through whoever is harder than ever because they do not want to take any risk at all yeah. uh, because it's so expensive to borrow money. And if they don't get paid on time, it's not even if they have good credit, it's how quickly they pay now. And so mm-hmm. it's very difficult. You know, we just had a big, big brand um, that we landed and it was difficult to get the amount of credit we needed because it was hundreds of thousands of dollars of credit we needed. And, you know, it was difficult to get that even, and they're an established company. Um, mm-hmm. So brokerages that are out there, working with smbs like i feel for them because smbs don't have established credit and it's hard to get them set up and then you're floating money at Mm -hmm. 10 percent, so it's a tough market for that i also think you compound that with volumes being a little bit up but fuel being up and revenue per load not necessarily being up and your margins being down for sure like it's just a big crunch and it's gonna you know Whoever makes it through the curve, I'm excited because Rocket will make it through. And we're, we're sitting in a really good position to take market share. But I do feel for the brands that are like, maybe they're in 20, like search transportation. I don't know what happened with them, but like it was a, it was a crunch and their investors didn't want to take that risk. And so if they're bootstrapped and they were used to these profits in 2020 and 2021, and now they have to be used to half the profit for the same volume and payroll, that's real tough. That's tough market mm-hmm. conditions.
0: Definitely, yeah, that was very interesting. I, I was shocked by that. I saw the, how much they spent on marketing. That you'd you'd think they had a big cash stockpile, but
1: you would think so. I mean, I, yeah. every conference I went to, the everywhere the, it was, it it was, was surge, like, said, yeah. urge, man. Yeah. And then if you listen to like Freightways, it was like the fastest growing three PL in freight surge transit. Yeah. And I was like, "Fastest growing," but. And I won't speculate. I don't know Omar, their founder, but it's from all accounts, the people that I know that know him, good dude. And I I feel for him. It sounds like there was just, I mean, that's what happens, I guess, when you're not bootstrapped. And it's this weird concept. Like Rocket doesn't have investors. We have to make money every month, we have to turn a profit so that we can pay everybody. It's a really strange concept uh, where you just build a business and then you try to make more money than you spend every month. And sometimes, If you don't make it for a month, you're like, okay, the next month you have to, because you don't want to go like a quarter without making money. And I'm sitting there watching these other brokerages that are funded with a burn rate. And I'm like, how do you have a burn rate? What kind of business is that? <laughs> so Yeah. I'm not saying true. that like VC funding is bad for tech companies. Like, I think that there is a novel idea of like if you have tech that no one else does, you want to beat them to the market. But if you're talking like freight tech, like what surge was or others it's like well i don't think that's that attractive it's not that much different yeah. and it's really just
0: brokerage underneath the tech um to that point well in terms of just building businesses and bootstrapping it i know that you're you're a big fan of alex ramosi i'm a big fan of alex ramosi too listen to a lot yeah. of his stuff um and you you do a lot i mean you're you're growing um you're growing very quickly uh you're young you have a team i know that you also you did mention that you're not stuck in the day to day, which I, uh, which I you know respect a lot because it takes effort to get out of that day to day kind of grind and focus on the bigger things. Uh, what's like? I don't know. I guess this is kind of like a strange question, but like your day to day, like what is what does it look like? I mean, you wake up. I know you travel a lot. You visit clients. Like, what are you focused on in, in terms of like like you're focused on the big vision, eighteen months down the line. This is from off the yep. nature's podcast can you kind of like tell us like what that entails in like a day-to-day perspective
1: yeah i think you know like a day-to-day would be you know i get up pretty early i call it the dad hours uh i get most of my work done between like six and eight a.m and i try to get to the gym before that uh can't say i get there every day but i try to get there like three four days a week and i work out in the morning so i can get it done um i made it this morning right but um I would say I get most of my work done between six and eight. And then I work in an office with, you know, nine or 10 of our employees out of the 25, the other 15 are remote. We started during COVID and just started hiring everywhere. And then once we could have an office, I hired in office. Uh, But most of my day is meetings, a little bit of meetings, right? I meet with my leaders. They're doing all the stuff. And then I still Flow each quarter into wherever i think the business needs my effort and so like this quarter i'm the senior vice president of operations because we grew really fast and we you know i don't know i think my job is basically right now to look at watch for the check engine light and then look under the hood and fix um and when we are in growth mode you can bring on a bunch of new customers and like i said earlier keeping customers is the name of the game so i hired a customer success Uh, a hire named caitlin in april and then we started building customer success and then i said hey i think operations needs need some help or or some processes because i think we're just barely getting done each day and we were driving with the check engine light on for a couple months this summer and i said okay i'm gonna open the hood and then i was like oh it's much more than i thought um and so right now my main focus this quarter is going or i don't call it quarters but right now i'm focusing until like For two more months, I'll focus on operations. But I'm always looking at 18 months. That doesn't mean that because we're bootstrapped, I still got to make sure we always make payroll and we have cash reserves. And so part of what I'm doing now is operations looking into it, uh, creating processes and SOPs. And then I'm looking at our finances and saying, hey, how can I go get more financing? Uh, not through funding like VCs, but just go get more access to capital because we have a profitable cash flowing business and I don't need the money right now. And I think probably in two years, I'll say the best piece of advice I ever got was get money and access to capital when you don't need it. Uh, And so I'm trying to think two years from now, and that would be maybe for acquisitions, it might be for new tech that might cost a bunch of money, but I'm looking at access to capital um, beyond what we are just cash flowing. To give myself and the company the best advantage in, I think, probably nine months when this market has flipped and we have taken market share. And then maybe we look at strategic partnerships and acquisitions. That's probably our plan. Um, But besides that, I still, regardless of if you can get yourself out of the day to day like I have for doing, you know, making BOLs and, and cold calling and things like that. I still end up putting out a lot of fires and I'm still our client success guy. Like if there's a problem with the customer, I'm, I'm there. And so last week I was in Chicago. This week I was in Cleveland. Uh, I'm going to be in Idaho in a few weeks and I always make it one day. Uh, and if you've listened to the Nate shoots podcast, it's because i got a four-year-old and a three-year-old and I'm always gone for like one night, but that means 5am flights and midnight. And like, I don't sleep as good. Cause I'm just like traveling all over but I try to never be gone for more than one or two nights, um, which is great. It just happens to be that that takes a toll on me, so I always try to balance how much I travel with
0: that. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of like building the business, like do you like maybe give credit to any books like besides the podcast. I know Alex Hermosi is great, but like, how were you able to like build the business? You know, you didn't have an MBA, you didn't finish a business degree. You seem, you know, you're young and stuff like that. Like, how did you learn all that?
1: I think, um, and you know, the other part of that is we don't really have anybody at the company that has been there and done it yet. And that's kind of our next step is to probably make a few strategic hires of people who have done it, not in freight. I don't think it takes freight experience, but I do think it takes finance and business intellect and having seen mergers and acquisitions and all of that to know what we're going to do and, and having somebody come in with years of experience. But up until now, I've, I mean, I read a lot of books. Uh, I think that, that, I think you can learn. Which a lot. Your favorite? See, Sorry for interrupting. Um, when I first built the business, it was Jeb blunt, fanatical prospecting. Uh, that's how we built our outbound, like cold calling team. Um, I think that lately the, my favorite book has been the happiness advantage. Um, and I don't know the name of the author, but I'll have to, but I bought it for, I bought it for all the team members and we're all supposed to read it. I don't know how many team members have gotten it done, but we're all reading it. And that like, my viewpoint is one of our core values is joy, but most people think happiness. And I say joy because joy, like by definition is happiness, despite circumstances and in startup world, if you just went by the circumstances of how hard it actually is to build a business and how much. Inter-team drama and hiring and firing and legal and all those things, then you wouldn't be happy. But you can always choose to have joy. Um uh, You know, I'm I'm a man of faith, and so like I've always had joy as a core principle of my life, and I think that that has really lent itself to business. Because if you can be a joy to be around, business and freight is is stressful. But if you're a joy to be around, it makes it a little bit better. And I think that that kind of you know my goal is to kind of have that permeate into our culture of like. When you show up, you're not even if you're broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or if you've got strife going on in a relationship or your kids and you didn't sleep, you got a newborn, which is all of the things that happen in our company. We're just people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you show up with joy in the workplace, it makes a big difference. So happiness advantage, even though it's not a business book, it is actually from like Amazon, I believe. It was like, hey, they do these polls and the companies that are the happiest actually have higher revenues. Imagine that. Uh, It doesn't have any transference to skill set. It's just culture and happiness. And so that's my favorite lately uh, on what we're doing. But practically, I mean, there's a lot of resources out there beyond books and stuff that you can just watch a YouTube video from Alex Harmazi on, you know, how to write your offer and the value equation. And if you just do it, it helps your business. And so my next focus is more on like uh, the finance side and P&L and profit loss statements and income statements, 1099s, balance sheets. But I've gotten, you know, I use a company called Bench. If you're a business owner out there that's scaling, you should use Bench.co. They don't pay me either, but they should. Um, <laughs> and they do bookkeeping. They keep really clean books, but they also give it to you in Power BI in a dashboard instead of having to wait until like the 15th of the next month to know what happened the month before. You're going to see it live. And... I do that for all my businesses now, and it's it's been a huge like I can see exactly where we're at with P and L, and it doesn't have to be trailing. It can be pretty much live. Sure, I gotta check that out. Yeah, it's two hundred ninety nine dollars a month for the business. It's like unbelievably cheap. And I used to pay a CPA like forty grand a year to do the same thing for bookkeeping,
0: and this is better. Okay, that's good to know. That's actually because that's something that I've been kind of worried, or not even worried, but just kind of focused on. It's like. Um, I did a podcast just came out today with Jordan Gerber. He's the he's a partner or advisor at Caber Hill, Caber Hill Advisors, uh, managing mm-hmm. partner. And what he does, he does uh, he's like the broker and buying and selling logistics company. So if you wanted to sell rocket shipping, you'd call him up. He's a, one of those people that would facilitate a deal or give you potential buyers. And you just kind of people know everything.
1: They they really know yeah. the
0: people that know the stuff. I like yeah. to, I like to know people like that. For sure, and he and he's a CPA. He graduated from U of I just like I did, and we were talking, and he was like just kind of telling telling me how accounting and bookkeeping is just the most important function of a business, and I, it's obviously true. But like you know, like a lot of people that start businesses tend to not be that. You know, they tend to be more maybe creatives or just kind of like the crazy people that are like, okay, I want to do something on my own, and typically yeah. accountants tend to stay, at, you know, at an accounting firm and. So, like, I need help with that, and so I, I appreciate you saying that, Gabe. Uh, I'm gonna actually check it yeah. out. If you have a referral code, On that, I could use it. Yeah. yeah, I might get you one. On that <laughs> point, though, like,
1: I think that there's a misnomer about most entrepreneurs, and 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 I think a lot of them are creatives and are risk takers, and you have to have a certain amount of like tolerance for risk to start a business, or otherwise you would just keep working a job. That's how this mm-hmm. works. Yeah, but. I think my background, I, like, I went to college for no reason, I say, because I didn't need to, to do sales and business, mm-hmm. but my background, when I was at college, I was doing, I was studying for pre-med and taking all the exams and doing all the volunteer work at the hospitals, and, and I had to be super disciplined because I was young and married, and I had to go to all my classes, and they were 400-level classes, and I was taking 21 credits, and I was working, and I was coaching a CrossFit gym. Like, I had to be super disciplined with my schedule. But also, I had to learn how to learn and study. And so, I was great at biochem and I was great at anatomy and physiology lab and human cadavers and stuff because I learned how to study that same principle. Like, if I don't know something in the business, I will go learn it. Being able to learn is the biggest skill set. And so, a lot of people think entrepreneurs, especially when they probably see me in person, I'm very high energy and, and, you know, I'm very, people say I'm a lot, and that's good because. That means I can do a lot, but I used to, I used to think that was a negative connotation, but if you give me a spreadsheet and power BI and my, you know, my numbers from the business, I can sit down for three, four hours and learn what they mean and get advisors, teachers from a lecture right in college. And then I get advisors and mentors and I say, Hey, teach me this. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to just sit down for a weekend and learn it, I'm good at finance, but I don't have a finance degree. If it was twelve years ago, I might have needed to get a, an MBA in finance because uh, no one would teach you. But now all the resources are available. I think people just for, like say, "Ah, I can't just learn it from YouTube." I'm like, "Well, you pretty much can." can. Uh, and there's enough books sure. and there's enough YouTube. And now there's AI, and AI is going to revolutionize like finance because yeah. it's you're going to be able to say, "Hey." Uh, rocket GPT, like my own little enterprise AI. Like what are our numbers saying? What's my projections for the next 18 months? And it won't be wrong based on the numbers. Mm-hmm. And then you won't need a controller and a CFO. I think CFOs will be fractional from here on out. Uh, I don't think that you're going to need to ever be like, Hey, I'm going to hire a $300,000 CFO and give them equity or her equity because I need to figure this out for this. It's really going to be, I need a controller, a bookkeeper and AI. And mm-hmm. it'll tell me, Based on our PL and our growth rate and number of customers, what's going to happen? I think the kind of bookend that or put a, rip, a bow on it is that you have to have clean books. You have to have a clean CRM. You have to have a clean org chart. Um, and like my philosophy is, if you have all of that and then you're hiring people, even when you don't think you should, because like right now, I don't think we should be hiring because it's a weird market. But if you just kind of freeze and say, hey, let's just stay where we're at. If you're if you're standing still, you're moving backwards. That's my mm-hmm. main line. And so you have to have everything clean, but I think that most people traditionally would be like, hey, let's just stay safe. Let's keep clean books and let's grow slow. If you don't have somebody in your company, it happens to be me at Rocket, but it doesn't always have to be the founder. You always have to be pushing growth. It's the only option for a startup it is to be pushing growth at all times. Yeah. If you're not growing, you're dying. So there it is. But people like it's human nature to not think that you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, look, we did X amount profit with X amount employees. and I have this revenue per head. We're good to go. We don't need to hire more employees. We can just get more revenue per head. It's just not how it works now. Mm -hmm. Sure. There's times to optimize, but I think all startups kind of go through this growth curve of like super profitable. Let's hire a bunch of people. And then like their margins really slim down and they get kind of compressed and they're like wow how's this happening i have all this revenue and i don't have any profit and then they try to figure it out and they some entrepreneurs figure it out and they increase margins again i think that once you do this almost every entrepreneur that i've met with had this phase they've been way ahead of me like they've done all these things and i talked to them they had compressed margins and then they finally figured it out and the margins started to grow and they're like okay let me take a breath this has been so hard i'm gonna stop now and just get better margins." where if they had they tell me if they had just pushed harder for one more year they would have had better margins and increased revenue and instead they just eventually came back to the same curve because they stagnated so we're kind of in coming through the curve of like super growth you know we went from 15 to 30 and then we just keep going and we got more business units and tms and truckload the core principle is like hey once everything is working, we're going to push even harder. I think we timed it perfect because we got in in 2020 when like, it was the best market to get in. Mm-hmm. We made it through the curve. And I'm super excited for
0: 2024. Love that. That's awesome, Gabe. I'm, I'm really happy to talk to you and to learn more about your business. I, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys grow. And it's, uh, yeah. it's definitely really exciting. Um, and there's one more thing I want to say. None of this growth is easy. And I think that too
1: many people are out there on LinkedIn and they're like, man, look at how great we're doing. Like, this yeah. is super hard. Like, there's, we've had to hire people. We've hired the wrong people. We've fired the wrong people. I had a sales rep that I fired last year and I rehired him this year and he's one of our top sales reps again. Like, I make bad decisions all the time. I make mistakes yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, the only real way to do it is to be open about it and know you made a mistake and correct it. And I think that most, most business owners and employees... Mm-hmm. that they're like oh i've made a mistake and no one else has everybody does that and so i screw up all the time i just keep moving so yep. we'll see how it goes but
0: i don't want to paint such a rosy picture of like this of is course easy yeah and even um, to, to that point on your twitter which i noticed today on your bio uh, i'm going to read it out here it's it's uh gabe's gabe uh going on through year three of building a shipping business i tweet about the mistakes i make along the way rocket shipping so i mean yeah. you're, you're real vocal about it and that's the thing like but if you're not making mistakes, you're also not learning. And, you know, I'm the same way. I've made so many mistakes in business, failed <laughs> ventures, you know, posting the wrong content, probably content I shouldn't have posted. Uh, but you learn along the way. And, like, I know that, like, you know, in five years from now, I'm going to be in a much different, uh, you know, better shape, better, better discipline, and better life because of the mistakes that I've made. Uh, so, yeah. And it, like, I like, like, I mean, I'm building free Caviar and it's not easy, but it's it's also like, I can't imagine living my life any other way. Uh, and it's, it's, it's fun. It's like, I mean, just, it's the truth. So, um, Gabe, awesome, awesome talking to you. Greatly enjoyed it. I hope, I hope I see you in Chicago next month. Hopefully you can catch up, maybe grab some coffee or some tea. Uh, That'd be awesome. If uh, someone wants to follow you, where's, the, what's the best place to find you?
1: It's still LinkedIn, but we're building YouTube and Twitter right now. It'll be or, or X. Uh, our three platforms are going to be YouTube, LinkedIn and X. And so I think X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, is going to be an arbitrage between like a uh, TikTok, Instagram and LinkedIn. And it'll be for business. So I'm starting to build there. I just started in June, but I think that is kind of the next platform to create content for, monetize and build an audience. And so that's kind of what I'm hmm. focusing on. Everything I put on LinkedIn uh, could end up on X, but not everything I put on X will be on LinkedIn. I'm a little bit more open on Twitter. So
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, same way. Awesome, Keep. Thank you so
1: much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much.